We want to warn our listeners uh, in Scandinavia, there is a fish terrorizing swimmers uh, in the waters there. On the line to tell us a little more about it is uh, Peter Roskmuller. He's from the Natural History Museum of Denmark. We found the you know, fisherman and found this fish just outside uh, Copenhagen, and it was a very big surprise. And first people actually thought it was a piranha, you know. Well, I saw, I've, I saw the fish described as mostly vegetarian, which is not an entirely reassuring phrase. No, that's right. I mean, most fish eat pretty much anything <laughs> yeah, or can eat a lot of things. But it's true that it's, it's uh, for a large part, it's a vegetarian, and that's also why it has the special teeth. I mean, they're specialized for crunching hard <laughs> fruits and, and nuts and things like that. So, But, Peter, the thing that's causing a lot of the panic is about <laughs> one particular item in the Paku's diet. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there has been these stories. I mean, I, I'm not really sh- convinced myself whether it's true or not, that it that they can, you know, by mistake, you know, mix up uh, some kind of nuts with other kind of nuts. That's right. But but if they if they do it, it, it would be a bad place to be bitten. Peter, does nuts mean the same in, De- in Danish as it does in English? I, I think so, yeah. I think so, yeah, yeah. It's probably international. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, uh, looking at the the pictures of it, it it looks like it has a mouthful of like human molars. Yeah, I think it has. Uh, quite a few people think that it's something that has been photoshopped, or <laughs> but uh, it it is really these teeth actually. It's uh, in the upper jaw. They have some special teeth that are, that look like that they're specialized of holding on to maybe a big uh, knot or something, and then the lower jaw can teeth in the lower jaw can crunch. Oh. It. So they can they can they can really crunch quite big nuts and they do they do uh, do that in, in public aquariums as a part of a show you know throw out a big nut and oh. here these fish come and crunch. Do these fish do they swarm like piranhas do once they they get onto something? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good question. That there could be not I think not as uh, wild as a piranha, but I think they they often appear in small schools and and there can be some you know jealousy around them. So if you th- throw out one knot, they will certainly compete about it, you know, trying to get it first. So <laughs> so you could have your both knots taken in one go, I'm sure that could happen. That's not very reassuring, is it? No, 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 no. No, I mean, take it easy. It's, uh, all this is a little bit with a smile, I must say. Well, thanks for kind of alleviating some of our concerns and then also highlighting some, yeah, yeah. some new concerns, Peter. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Into the home straightaway. McCrory, and now Macho goes by. Here comes Ahuragu as Hastings tried to hold on. Macho is in front. Ahuragu gaining with every stride. Here they come to the line. And a dive for the finish. Close between Ahuragu and Macho. What, what you're hearing right now is the finish of the women's 400-meter race at the Track World Championships in Moscow earlier this week. Who's the winner? Who's the world champion? Macho thinks it's her. Maybe it's a hurricane. Now the They're race was so close finish. that people watching it on TV. Yeah, the dozens, the dozen of Americans who watch track on TV. Nobody watching it could tell who won. So how do you make the call when a race looks like it ended in a tie? 
Roger Jennings is a timing official for major track events around the world. Uh, he's the guy who makes this call. So, Roger, when you see a finish like this, what's going through your head? First thought is, is oh, oh, oh my God. <laughs> it's, not, it's not exactly what you want to you know, deal with that. You can't really tell who won. So you're hoping your computer can actually tell you who actually pulled it off. <laughs> So as a guy who, uh, you know, has to make the call on this, so the, the second those two cross the line, what starts happening with, uh, you know, a team like yours to, to figure out who won? As soon as they cross the line, I get a, 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 a photo finish image of the main finish line and how they actually cross the finish line. It's not, it's not a two-dimensional picture. It's actually a picture of them crossing the finish line. And so hopefully right away I'll see a key. That will let me go, okay, it was lane three over lane four. Roger, is this, I, I saw a photo which uh, it's, everyone's kind of stretched out. It's this weird-looking photograph. Is that what, what you're seeing? Yes, yeah. It's the way the cameras work. They're not, it's a digital camera. However, it's not two-dimensional. It doesn't do um, height and width. It only does height. It takes one pixel in width and maybe 2,000 pixels high, and it will stack that one thing in memory, and then take another picture, another picture. Uh, based on how many frames you're going to run, and I'm presuming that at this championship they're probably running uh, 2,000 frames, it'll stack the pictures up in memory. And it looks really interesting. It does some weird optical illusions. However, it does show as each part of the body crosses the line, it gives you a very good visual interpretation of how, you know, who's ahead of who. So looking at that photo then, the woman who won... What did she have? What crossed the finish line first that determined she won? Her chest, there was definitely, definitely chest on the out, on Urugu ahead of Mancho. Um, it's, it's a very, they got lucky. It was a very clear picture. And it only took them a few, I don't know, maybe 10 seconds to make sure, but it was very quick. And so is that the rule that the, it, it's the chest or torso? Uh... Yeah, that's, that's inter- with athletics, track and field, um, it's, you basically work on torso, when the torso of the human body crosses the line, which is a little vague. Um, in horse racing, it's the nose of the horse. In car racing, it's the front of the car. Very clear to define. Um, in speed skating, it's the front of the skate. But in track and field, it's a torso. And when you're twisting and turning, it's a little hard to define um, the actual torso sometimes. I, I hate to even ask this, but I, I was watching this race with my girlfriend and uh, she said, if if they're making the decision based on, you know, whose torso crosses first, wouldn't it be an advantage for these women to pad their bras? Yeah. I mean, what actually as an official, what you're supposed to do is go where the you're not supposed to use any external thing at all. So like a wrinkle in the uniform, you don't read the bib number on the front of the uniform. You don't read okay. actually where, the, where you believe the skin is. Where the actual torso <laughs> begins is where you read. But yeah, if, uh, if a more endowed woman was actually leaning, that would probably give her a <laughs> give her an advantage. Would officials check uh, at any point for a padded bra? Because it seems like you could get away with that. Yes, I, I don't think that's ever come up, and I don't think it's a rule. <laughs> that might be something they have to look into. That's um, crazy. Usually it's a detriment over 400 meters that probably wouldn't increase your speed a whole lot. <laughs> So, but but really, like if someone had like a goiter or something, they yeah. could have an advantage. That would count. Yes, the, you would read the goiter. Right in this case, yes. <laughs> well, 
Well, you know, we're at the point of the interview where either Mike or I usually thanks the guest, uh, mm-hmm. and we're going to do that now. But I'm thinking, since this is your specialty, uh, we'll have a race to thank you, and you will judge who won. All right. Um, so the voice you're hearing now, this is Ian, and give you Michael maybe deepen his voice a little bit to separate it. Yeah, this is Mike. Okay. Okay. So we're right. bo- we're both going to say uh, thank thanks so much, Roger. That's what we're going to say. All and, right. And then you tell us who won. Okay. Do you want a countdown or something? Yeah. You want to give us a a on your mark set go. I will do an on mark on your mark set go. All right. All right. <clears throat> on your mark. Set. Go. Thanks so much, Roger. Thanks so much, Roger. Yes. I think it was Ian. Actually, both your voices climbed. So I'm going to say Ian. But wait a minute. Which one made you feel more thanked? This isn't ice skating. Yeah. I, I think know. style has to count for something here. No. Actually, that's what's great about track and field. Is there actually is no style. It's just speed. <laughs> so Uhurugu won that race by four thousandths of a second. So to give you a sense of what that is, here's uh, four thousandths of a second of the Bob Seeger classic, Night Moves. That, right there, let's hear it again. That little sound is the difference between world champion and not world champion. Just one night move. Not even a night move. Four thousandths of a night move. Yeah, that's like a night move. We can hear a little more. Let's do Usain Bolt's margin of victory in the 100 meter dash. That's a little better. But even there, just think about all the time that Bob Seeger had to work on that one night move. All right, and here is uh, Mo Farah, his winning margin in the 10,000-meter dash. This is after six-plus miles of running. This is how much night moves he won by. And finally, here's Bob Seeger's winning margin in the 5,000 night moves in night moves. From time to time in the how-to uh, email mailbox, uh, we get questions about uh, cleaning, how to clean your home. How to clean your room, how to clean your ears. Uh, so the people who may know best how to clean a room are the people who have to clean up after rock stars who, uh, by reputation, trash their rooms. We're going to head up to the Days Inn in Chicago where a lot of rock stars have stayed uh, over the years and talk with Stephanie Haresa, Scott Ray, and Lucy Foronovska. And uh, see if we can get some cleaning tips. Uh, You'll know we're there when we start speaking in hushed tones. All right, so here we are in a room where I'm sure really bad stuff has happened. Yeah, you can feel it almost. So so who of you can tell tell me uh, what bands have, have stayed here at the Days Inn? The Black Keys, Foo Fighters, Poi Dog Pondering, George Clinton, Henry Rollins, the Scissor Sisters, Ryan Bingham, Mindy Smith, Chris Whitley years ago, his daughter Trixie. We just had Mona in here the other day. Uh, Shiggy Otis was here recently, and that was a pretty big deal for us. XX, KMFDM, Jesse Ware. I mean, it's, it's, we were going over this earlier, and there are so many bands that have stayed here over the years that it, it would take us a long time to list them all. And you forgot about my favorite, which is Ben Harper, Scott. <laughs> yes, and then I do remember, but I don't, I'm not 100% sure which one of John's Lennon son was staying here oh, with us. Sean. Sean? Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, there's a few bands that, um, 
you know, like the Red Hot Chili Peppers became pals with an elderly desk clerk here. Um, uh, Sounds of Blackness performed a little concert in the lobby for our housekeepers. Uh, Offspring was here, and they were on the roof and peeing into the street, so they got kicked out. Um, Those are the stories I think people want to hear. We've had, you know, Kurt Cobain and uh, Courtney Love uh, supposedly consummated their relationship. I mean, so so there's, and they've stayed, you know, and Courtney Love stayed since and then said, no, it's too painful, she can't stay here. So uh, Nirvana, Dave Matthews. Can we take a break from this interview for a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're in this rock and roll hotel where um all the you know all this all these legendary bands have stayed but it's just like a hotel room. It doesn't feel historic. I think we should maybe punch it up with some sweet guitar licks just from here on out. But now, I mean, we love the bands. They're 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 really great. Um and they they behave really well. I think one of the bigger things, because we're a non-smoking hotel, sometimes we have to remind some that it's a non-smoking hotel, especially with the marijuana. But you know, other get other guests seem to like to do that too. So you know, we have a big variety of guests. And there's plenty. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of drugs that they don't smoke that they could do here. Certainly, <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> yeah. How? I mean, when you're cleaning these rooms after a band has stayed there, are you encountering messes that are maybe bigger than the messes like a normal person would leave? Uh, they used to were bigger a uh, long time ago when I started, and I was very shy, and, you know, I did not know any English at all, so I, there was only thing that I had to concentrate was cleaning the rooms, and uh, like I say, they were trashy. There was uh, mountains of beer cans, there were uh, piles of cigarettes, butts on the carpet, burnt burn stuff, burn marks. Hair dye in the bathtubs. That was a big deal, yeah. and it stains it the was, stubs pretty it badly. It was a very common thing that, uh, that people were dyeing their hair different colors, colors of rainbow, I can yeah. say. Yes, yeah. yes. And I guess Elizabeth, she kind of got on Ace Freely from Kiss for staining the bathtub, and Elizabeth was... Um, a pretty strict person, <laughs> and I think he ended up apologizing to her. Really? <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of funny. Are, are they excited? You mentioned, you know, maybe Kurt and Courtney consummated their relationship here. Are, are the bands that come now, are they excited to, like, do they want to know what, what room that, do they want to sort of tour around the place like tourists? Well, we've had uh, fans call and ask if they could visit the room or what room number is it and they've asked us many many questions but I don't remember ever having a band say or ask us anything about it are we in that room right now <laughs> no. <laughs> no we'll, we'll uh, I'm not even sure to tell you the truth We got an email from Jay, and Jay says he listens to uh, our show while driving a semi. Hey, Jay, these next 15 seconds are for you. It occurs to me he didn't say a semi what. He just said semi. Do they have semicolons you can drive? Like a lot of people use them incorrectly. Right. Yeah, I think they break up a trip. We 
we are still collecting your Toilet of the Week submissions. You can send them to us at howto at npr.org. So, Josh, tell us about your toilet. Uh, my toilet uh, or toilets are uh, the bathrooms at Woodbury Kitchen. It's a restaurant in Clipper Mill, which is a Baltimore neighborhood. They are, uh, obviously, since they're individual bathrooms, there for women and men. And on the doors, uh, there is a sign that says women and men. Uh, but also, um, all around the three bathroom doors, there are the song lyrics to the They Might Be Giants song, Women and Men, and the doors act as the refrain. And I didn't even notice that until I'd seen it for the 10th or 15th time, and all of a sudden, uh, the soundtrack of my twin brother studying in high school started flooding back to me. Sure. Well, that's that sounds really unique. Uh, Josh, we have someone on the line who... Um actually probably has a vested interest in this. John, are you there? I'm here. This is John Linnell from They Might Be Giants. Hey, oh, my golly. How you doing? Uh, how am I doing? Yes. Um, I'm pretty excited. This is... Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm wondering if you knew about this bathroom already. I, well, no, I found out about it when they let me know that they were doing this piece. It's, I mean, I, I was telling these guys before um, they got on the line with you that um, one of the bywords of They Might Be Giants is dignity. So when I was asked to do a segment called Toilet of the Week, I, I, I just wanted to point out that this is one of our concerns, is that we keep everything at a, at a high level, you know. A high level. Um, I would... I, I would say it is it is it is among the most dignified uses of rock and roll song lyrics uh, <laughs> that I've ever seen. It looks better than any of the lyrics web pages that have gotten so popular recently. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, no, it looks very beautiful. It looks like they 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 spend a lot of care uh, designing the bathroom. So, John, when you guys wrote that song, did you ever anticipate uh, that it would have this meaning? What do you think? Yes. <laughs> Yes, we knew there'd be a bathroom that would follow from the writing of our song. Well, the album is called Flood, so it does uh, maybe offer maybe a different story or an interpretation of the album as a whole. I'll, I'll leave that to you, yeah. yeah you, you're free to interpret however you like. Well, congratulations, Josh, and by extension, John. You have our Toilet of the Week. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for that. That does it for this week's show. What we learned today, Mike? Well, I learned that there's a hotel right here in Chicago that has a storied rock and roll past. Yeah, um, they said I could check in anytime I I liked. Yeah. Uh, but I could never leave, which I thought was weird. I learned that um, if I were ever to compete in a highly competitive track meet, that I couldn't put like uh, sequins or any type of puffy applique on my jersey in hopes of kind of winning a photo finish. It's not going to help you in terms of winning the race. It might help you in terms of, like, your self-image. What if my body was shaped in such a way that I had a large perpendicular protrusion that shot out of my chest? Yeah. Like Like it was 100 meters long. So I would just get up and I would run, and boom, I would already win the race. Yeah, sort of a narwhal chest. If I had a tusk that was 100 meters long, I would win the 100-meter race. (laughs) 
How to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Haga with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Bluey DeMacy. Uh, if, if that sounds familiar, you've probably seen her show Bluey on the FX network. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. What if a centaur was running? Could a centaur compete in that race? Because he's a big chest. Yeah, I think... Well, that's a good question. Because I, I think centaur is either going to be the best human runner or the worst horse runner. Yes. Yes. <laughs>